Welcome to the Cinema Silo. I'm Jessie, and today we're doing something a bit different. I'm here in the silo, not with my sisters, but with Dara Sanders, chair of the Alexandria Film Festival. Dara is going to talk to us about some of the films this year, a bit about what it's like to be involved in a local film festival, and I'm so excited to have her here. She's one of my dearest friends. Dara, welcome to the Cinema Silo. Thank you. Thank you, Maggie, Margaret, Jessie, for having me. Way to confuse listeners right from the very beginning. I'm the only person that calls uh, Margaret, Jesse, Maggie, and people look at me funny that I do, and I still continue to. Would feel weird for you to call me anything else at this point. So one of the things that we've, we instantly bonded over was going to the movies and mostly seeing foreigner indie movies that no one else wanted to see with us. We've seen a ton of films, and we have a lot of the same interests. We don't share the same music. As I, I dragged you to the Ingrid Michaelson concert. That was a fun concert. Did you? I thought she was so great. It was the Alana Davis concert that was iffy. Oh, God. I blocked that out. Yeah, that sucked. But anyway, festival. Okay. So this is your first year's chair yeah. of the Alexandria Film Festival, which is in Alexandria, Virginia, outside of D.C. And- Officially, it starts on Veterans Day. And, you know, every year we we do the Veterans Showcase because at this point now, our film festival always falls around that time. So it's the 11th through the 14th. So what kind of festival is it? Do you have a particular focus? We, We celebrate local filmmaking, international filmmaking, and indie film overall. I always like when we can give variety. I think every year we're always gonna get you maybe 10 to 15 shorts that we're pretty proud of. But, you know, we're not a shorts festival. We're also not a documentary festival. How did you first become involved in the Alexandria Film Festival? I was introduced to the festival in, hmm, sometime around 2015, 16. I was part of this meetup group. I don't know if I told you about this. Yep, I'm sure I did. But I was part of this meetup group, naturally, called Indie Film. You do love a good meetup group. It's true. Right? To meet up, like, once a month um, to go to East Street and watch a film. You know, we actually saw some pretty good films. Um, One of the members of the meetup group was on the committee of the festival. As with any festival that requires volunteers to function, they had this open volunteer event where they screened a film from the previous year's festival. I signed up to judge, then I kind of met everybody, and then it's almost like kind of next man up over time as people leave or move on. I became like the junior judging coordinator. Within you know a year of my getting involved, I started doing Q and A's, and this was when they were at the Lyceum, which is on I think Washington Street in Old Town. And so that's when I got more visibility. So I got to meet more people. Then I became judging coordinator. I was judging coordinator for about three years, working with Erwin Singer, who is a sweetheart, physicist, retired. He and his wife, Joan, are fabulous people. So I shout them out because they're just so great. But he <laughs> he's one of these people that goes hard Now, like if he's doing a task, he's going all in. And so I think the next year was their anniversary. It was maybe 
50 year anniversary and he was planning this whole video diary thing. So this whole production, and it was going to take so much of his time that he could not continue. So that's how I became full-time judging coordinator. A couple years ago, I'd say I became vice chair. Margaret Waller was the chair. So I was vice chair for a couple years. She kind of was like, Dara is the chair this year. Oh, okay. So I became chair. Is there anything in particular that you want to tackle in your first year as chair? For us to function, one of the things we need to do, and we've already agreed to do it, was to have strategic meetings so we can kind of nail down some SOPs. And I think any healthy organization does that so that whoever is the next man up knows what they're going to do. Whenever you solicit volunteers, they want to know what they're doing. And you need to be able to kind of tell them and not not have them function in an ad hoc way if we're going to move forward. And, you know, that's one of the things I heard, which I was actually very happy about from a couple of filmmakers that were like, you know, you guys are moving up. Yeah. I see you guys really getting visibility. And I'm just like, really? Wow. OK, you know, that's great. And so you kind of feel like you can get there. But I think with most film festivals, it's all about sponsoring. You need money. <laughs> like you need money. That's where we can always improve. I always dream about like meeting somebody somewhere and they're just like, here's a million. Here's <laughs> you know, just 500,000. Here you go. How about it? Can you tell us about other films that you're really excited to have in the program this year? We have a couple other, a couple other films I'm really excited about. Love in a Bottle, which is about a couple that meet because the woman takes his luggage tag in Madrid right before COVID hits and contacts him and they start a Zoom relationship during the pandemic. And it's a really interesting way to show relationships because as we all know with relationships, you're only seeing the representative <laughs> and you can only see the representative for so long. At some point, the trooper, the person is coming out. They can only hide so much, right? Yeah. Things are going to come out. And so how do they handle that, right? And I was surprised at how we can do a film where people are just talking about themselves and developing a relationship. You know, you have to focus on dialogue. Dialogue, your dialogue has to be strong to keep someone interested. And I was surprised it kept my interest, given that this is what they gave, you know, this is it. This is what they gave us, even though there is male and female nudity, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> so are you critical of writing and rom-coms in particular? I think that I am very critical of romantic comedy relationship films because I think dialogue sucks and it's not organic. It doesn't flow. It's not realistic. Yeah. Again, that's writing, right? I mean, yep. that's nothing but writing. And so the writing has to be strong. And if the writing is strong enough, you can make that type of uh, film work. What's your favorite rom-com of all time? Bridget Jones' Diary, probably. It's 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 probably on the cheese factor, like scale of one to ten. It's probably like a three, right? Maybe a three or four. And I will admit that it has a little cheesiness to it. Yeah. But I found it really relatable. To an extent, it's the characters for me. I think the characters are 
pretty well fleshed out and I appreciated that. The story is cute. It was not gonna be a sad ending. I knew that. It probably was a predictable ending and I'm fine with that. Yeah. But the rewatchable factor is like a 10. I, I did rewatch Love and Basketball. A classic. And I did enjoy that. I, I wouldn't call it a romantic comedy. Oh. It's more of a coming of age story. And so I, I hesitate to call it. It is a love story, but it's a coming of age love story. And that has a pretty high rewatchable factor. It still holds up. Okay, good choice. Good choice. Do you factor in your local audience into like a particular film that you're going to pick to screen? Like, do you go after films and try to recruit them into your festival if you think that they'd really appeal to your audience? Like, how does that work? A couple weeks ago, NPR, This American Life, did a story on Mahabadu Salahi. He was detained in Guantanamo uh, for 14 years. And while he was there, um, I think is when he started writing like these diaries, he was a high value detainee. He was considered one of the recruiters of 9-11 by the government. And so he was one of the detainees who was subject to um, enhanced interrogation. So he documented that in his diaries. This journalist decided to document his quest to seek out his torturers. One of the things that was interesting was he was trying to find forgiveness. The, the word for forgiveness in Arabic is also the word for free. And so I think he felt this would kind of free, kind of free him and separate him from the you know, torture he experienced so he could kind of move on with his life. The journalist kind of documents this quest where he's seeking out one of the guards with him in Guantanamo, one of his torturers, and then one of his interrogators. And the, the movie is called In Search of Monsters. And what our executive director did, she listened to this story and she said, I'm going to DM the director. She said, look, we have this film festival and we really want to screen your film. Can you send us a screen or we'd like to see it? And we did end up deciding to screen it, mainly because, again, this is something that I think that our demographic would be interested in. Like looking back after I saw the film, it, it makes it really interesting to think about the mindset at the time of the war on terror and how people were working to prosecute or help break some of these detainees had preconceived notions about them that probably weren't going to change. It's hard to kind of break that belief. And that's kind of one of the things I took away from the film. Even as the filmmaker makes it an open question whether or not he actually did the things that the government thought he did. You know that he's seeking forgiveness. Does he have something that he's hiding as well? I really think it's something people would be interested in because of his story. You know, we love a good doc on this pod. Yeah. And, and we have some other films, documentaries I'm excited about. I did a Q&A and it was actually fascinating. Filmmaker Michael Streiskuth, the director of Tower Robust, about the integration of this elementary school, Crestview Elementary in PG County in the early 70s. 
And what was interesting about that school was they had a black principal. His mindset was, I'm treating everybody the same. But you also have these black kids that are in a new school that are scared, that are being treated differently by some of the teachers. They're uncomfortable. And they thought that, oh, there's a black principal. So he's going to be more attentive to our needs. And he, and he wasn't. They actually talked about that with the filmmaker when I did my Q&A. And initially he's like, I'm going to do this documentary about, you know, my elementary school and how it was a successful integration of right after board, Brownview Board of Education and the forced busing. And then he went and did research and interviewed people. And then he was like, wait, what? Wow. And it, it became a completely different film because you all, you want to celebrate the principal, right? Like how far he came, but he had this tough, tough position of being in a white school right before it was integrated. You understand his position and then you hear the children, the black kids and their point of view. And presenting that, I thought in a very unbiased way so that you can kind of make your own decisions, but making sure that you kind of address in the interview, do you think you could have done more? What are some other local docs that you're excited about this year? Um, You know, we have one showcase called POV, PBS documentary series, POV point of view. We have one about union, union market and the changing demographics, but it's in the context of three small businesses that either have businesses there or are opening businesses there and how they're dealing with the changing demographics and how they're dealing with COVID. The filmmaker received a grant from the Humanities Council in DC. His task was to document immigrant businesses. What's the filmmaker's name? Nicholas Lindner. That one, so those two films have Q and A's. And so I really, um, I really think it's, they, they said a lot of interesting things. And um, these were, I think both of these were passion projects. You can kind of see that in the film. And I really appreciate documentaries that do that. Um, this year we happened to get a lot of documentaries with really challenging subjects. Uh, we have one about these law, law school students who go down to the border. Interesting. And that was really interesting. And, and and we have another documentary about a reform school in Tennessee that's now closed. And every time anybody hears reform school, you think bad. Right. <laughs> right. You don't think anything positive. And this was not positive. Yeah. So we got a couple um, tough documentaries. So I think that's why we chose to curate some additional films, maybe some lighter films, but also just features kind of balances it out, the options. So is that something that you try to do if you don't want to go too dark or too heavy subject matter and you try to balance it out other segments? Well, I think it depends, right? Because I would say over the years, one thing that we always want and need are features that drive a showcase, feature films, just to kind of let your audience know we don't typically show just kind of one film in a showcase. A showcase is typically made up of multiple films and it might be a, um, a few shorts, a 
feature length starts at 40 minutes. So it actually might be a feature with some shorts. But I, I do have to shout out another movie that we have because it's so unique. We've never before had like a musical showcase, but we do this year. And, and when I say musical, let me be more specific. So one of them is called Not an Exit, and it's a dance performance, interpretive dance, a local filmmaker that we've had. This is like her fifth film, I think, with us at the festival. She's won like two awards previously, Jane Pittman. She's amazing. And then we have this film called Dancing Joy, which is set to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, which was his last one, I believe, when he was either almost completely deaf or deaf. And what the filmmakers did, and this is fascinating to me, they used dance troops from across the globe and they traveled and did three-day shoots. So the, the director is Lanty Lee. And she said that they used only natural light. They play the symphony, which is about an hour, I would say about an hour, 15 minutes. And they kind of start off kind of at the introduction. So you're like, oh, look, you know, the Highland dancers in West Virginia and these dancers in Samoa and Japan in Kenya and here and and you go through and you kind of introduce and they're like moments where you have these crescendos and what she did so well was tighten up the editing and it's more and more intense with the dances with these montages right and the dances go with the flow of the symphony and it's beautiful right you know in fairness it probably isn't something for everyone mm -hmm. but it's beautiful to see it's, it's an achievement that should be celebrated. First of all, that's editing. And so of course we did a Q and A. Her sister was the editor, Mia Smith. She was the editor. She said it took her about a year. Whoa, wow. She actually traveled to kind of provide her own input for kind of what worked with the music. Yeah, it's like nothing I've ever seen. Still, I still marvel at that. Even after I talked to them, it was a family affair. The producer was the mom. The mom is the producer, <laughs> daughter is the director, Lancy Lee, Mia Smith is the editor. That's so, so cool. So sweet and just open. It was really a joy to speak with them. That's awesome. I think we don't see a lot of sister teams on like the big Hollywood scale filmmaking, but it is a good reminder that it is happening. And that there's a whole universe of filmmaking outside of Hollywood. You said something that made me wonder. Yeah. So have you already recorded, like you've pre-recorded the Q&A sessions? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So that's why you're talking about past tense. Okay. Again, this is all online. And one of the things we did, and I don't want to disparage any other festivals that I enjoy and or judge for, but they give you a very short window <laughs> to watch films. So typically you have 48 hours to finish. And I think they give you maybe five days to start it, if that. I think it's less than that. And one of the things we discussed was we really don't want to do that to people and be so strict. This year we said, you know what, let's just say, you know, you have two weeks to start and you have two weeks to finish. Wow. We are not going to be crazy. So, you know, if someone gets a pass and, you know, they don't have time, hey, you know, every other day, watch a film or start a film, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's really cool that you're making the film so available to people who pay the money, like to people who want to see it, like you're making it as accessible as possible. 
Um, one of the things we did this year that's kind of cool is we started a movie buff club that included these in-person or online events because this was our 15th year. So we want to screen like a best of fest showcase. And so that's something we'll do online, likely through Eventive. It's just kind of a way to continue to connect with our audience. You know, there are certain audience members that are very passionate about film and want to talk about it. Do you want to break it down? Let's break it down. Let's break it down. You know, and not everybody's like that, but there are some people that want to talk about it. As we grow as a festival, these are some of the things that we're thinking about doing to continue to reach out to people. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, it sounds to me like some of your audience might like our podcast. So you've come to the right place. Like our next series is going to be film set in the cities that my sisters and I are currently living in. So the first episode is going to be about film set in D.C. I think we should say that Alexandria is a suburb of D.C., right? It is. <laughs> I'm not mistaken. So what's your favorite depiction of D.C. on film? So this one is, it, it kind of blurs because it's Virginia, D.C., only because the Pentagon is in yeah. technically Virginia. And yeah. so that's kind of why. But my favorite is No Way Out. That's an oldie but goodie, like one of these kind of spy films. Have you ever seen it? No. Oh, my goodness. It, I think it's on Prime and you need to watch that ASAP. You know, obviously, you know how fine. I mean, he's still fine now, but you remember how fine Kevin Costner was in his day. <laughs> Right. Like, I'm sorry. I sound like my mom, but like, do you, do you remember? Do you know how fine he was? Of course I remember that. When pleated pants were stylish, that's when Kevin Costner looked real good. Back when Sean Young, when she was like the it girl. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, for girl? sure. I remember that. And he was at his hottest, definitely. But he, you know, he plays this naval officer and Gene Hackman is the Secretary of Defense, and he has his deputy, that's the swarmy guy. I think Will Patton is the actor. It starts off with a drone shot. And, and, and at the time, this is, this is filmed in 86, 87. I don't know what they used, but what's so fascinating to me is they start at the Pentagon and they move across. And if anybody knows, you cross 395, and boom, you see Pentagon Row and Pentagon City Mall, except no, at that time, no, that's not what it, it was literally woods. And so just to see that, because they, they scan across and they end up like at this house and I won't, you know, spill anything, but they kind of end up at this house where Kevin Costner's character is being interrogated. The way they depict the city is is very immersive. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, I know where that is. Like, you know, you do feel like it was, you're in D.C. Yeah. It feels like, oh, yeah, cool and political. You know, everything about it feels like, yeah, this is when, you know, D.C. was with the Russians and all the, <laughs> you know, like all that, every, all of that is pulled off. Mm -hmm. See, you know, the Memorial Bridge and. Yeah. The Key Bridge. I go back to that film every now and then. It's actually a, it's actually a pretty good film. It's Cheese Factor, maybe a two. It's not that high. Cheese okay. Factor's not that high. That's pretty low for in the eighties. It's pretty low, yeah. And then and they they drive on the GW Parkway. The only <laughs> bad thing in the movie is they make up a metro stop for Georgetown. Oh, every film does that. 
Why did they do that? So annoying. I know. I was like, yeah, if only. But at this point, (laughs) business isn't going great. They're going to have to do it now. But anyway, because I was trying to think of first films alike set in D.C. and whether or not they were actually filmed in D.C. Right, right. That's the tough (laughs) thing, right? You know, everything isn't. So what's your least favorite depiction of D.C. on film? Do you have one? House of Cards. Because oh. it was not filmed in DC, right. but Baltimore, um, right? Right, because it's all fake. It's not real. <laughs> it's that's a it's a complete deception. And it's and the more you think about it, it's like, oh right, because they were in this building. Where is the building? Who the hell knows? I don't know where this was. And there was like, <laughs> this random barbecue place that he goes to all the time. The idea that that would be somewhere near his townhouse. And then the fact, God, the fact that he was like, no, I'm going to be vice president, right? But I'm not moving, right? Didn't he do that? Yeah, did he, he did that. Yeah. It's stupidest. But anyway, that's a whole <laughs> other thing because we shall not speak his name. But Very yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to think if I have anything else right. interesting to discuss. That's the whole thing. I'm excited about people seeing um, another film we have. Um, decided to curate called Shelter because it's a very quiet film. It's in Gaelic, which I find fascinating, Um, obviously in Ireland. And it's about this young kid, young, he's 28, but his parents die in like a three month span. And he was completely, utterly sheltered goes through his maturation in this short amount of time, which is kind of fascinating when you think about it. That's hard. To me, it's hard to pull off. Like pulling off someone's maturation over uh, the span of a, you know, hour and 40 minute movie, that's that's tricky to pull off. So it doesn't seem like you just snapped your fingers and he's changed. Right. And and it's very you have to be very deliberate as a director to show the growth. Well, I thought very, very well done. And that film was Ireland's entry to the Oscars foreign film category. Oh, interesting. So it's called Shelter, but the Gaelic pronunciation is Foscad. Foscad? F-O-S-C-A-D-H. You know, it's a drama and it's a very quiet film. You have to stick with it. Okay. You know, and that's what I really enjoy about our audiences. They're, They're the type of audience that will appreciate and they're open to different types of film and so i really think we have very good catalog of films too that they can enjoy i'm excited to tune in this year and to to get a festival pass and to watch some of these i think it's going to be really cool very excited and of course we love your support maggie <laughs> where do i go where do i go go to our website what do you mean go to our web- go to alexfilmfest.com did you go okay do you follow us on instagram i do and so does the podcast we've been we've been tweeting out tweeting instagramming out posting mm-hmm. some of our offerings this year okay so definitely check that out and we actually got some trailers so we should be offering some clips soon exciting All right. Should we wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. Thanks, Dara, for joining me today. This was great to learn more about the ins and outs of the film festival. I'm very uh, happy to be here. Had a great time. Thank you for inviting me.
Check out the Alexandria Film Festival, which starts November 11th and goes through November 14th. Their website is alexfilmfest.com. Follow us on Instagram at cinemasilopod and go to our website at cinemasilopod.com. Let us know what you thought of today's episode and our first interview with Dara Sanders. See you next time in the silo.